want to talk to you about is literally has changed lives. It has changed families. It will change your career. It will change your relationship. It could change a country. It has affected wars. And we're going to be talking about a very important word called attitude today. There's been a statement that was made that says life is basically 10% of things that happen and 90% of how we react to those 10%. And if you really think about it, we do spend a lot of time in reaction to very small things that happen in our life. But that also means we spend a lot of time worrying about things that we shouldn't be worrying about. It means that we're dealing with issues we should not be dealing with. You see, we're about one month out from Easter. Easter's on a April 20th, for those of you who don't know. And as we start approaching Easter, it's so important to start looking at what Christ did on the cross. You see, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took our sickness and disease. He took our worries and anxieties. He nailed all of that to the cross. Then he went down into hell and took the keys, and I think he kicked a few demons a few times with some boots, and then came out and said, look, this is what we got. And we are his children, so we get to enjoy those benefits. But we take some of that stuff back. You know, one of the things that I've been learning in that lesson that we've been going through on Thursday nights is that Satan will always try to remind you of your past. Satan is a liar. It says that all he can speak is lies. So everything that comes out of him is a lie. When the Word of God says that we are forgiven and that our past is forgiven and that we are cleansed, that's what the Word says about you and I. When we start going back and visiting the sins and our weaknesses and our faults and our failures, we are empowering the lie, which means we're coming into agreement with the liar and not with the Word of God. So as we are about to go into Easter Sunday, the, 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 the season, I want to talk to you about attitude. You know, I can't preach something that I don't live. And I've always thought that I was a glass, kind of half full kind of guy. But as the Lord has been challenging my spirit on this, I realize that there's a lot of times, there's a lot of emptiness in that glass. I had a, a dental root a procedure done a couple weeks ago. And uh, for some reason, it didn't take so it was causing me a lot of pain. And about two, maybe three Sundays ago, I was really hurting. I didn't let you all know. I was, just, and I was fine while I was preaching, but man, I was just aching and it was throbbing. And so Monday morning, uh, the dentist said, uh, well, Friday, why don't you come in and we'll have to do a root canal and take out what we did and re-put in what we did before. And that just wasn't great news for me. And all week long, I thought about Friday morning at 11.10, Friday morning, 11.10, Friday morning, 11.10. It was like etched in my mind, root canal, redoing what they did, putting back in what they have to do. So I was a little nervous driving there, and, and well, actually, Kristen, uh, uh, you drove me there, didn't you? Yeah. Um, see, and that was, because I was already a little shaky at that time. And Kristen made one little comment. She goes, Mark... Why don't we believe that this is going to be better than before? And she just said it in a quick sentence. And I don't know if you've ever had something just kind of hit you better than before. I thought, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. that it was like, it was like the, the little light bulb. Literally, if there was ever a time a light bulb went on over my head, I'm like, I can do that. 
So all the whole time, I walk in there, and I'm like, it's going to be better than before. It's going to be better before. They go, and they take you down, and it's better than before. They stick this huge thing in to take an extra. Okay, I am the whole time, I am just constantly. And do you know what happened? It was better than before. They had to wake me up almost kind of said, hey, it's over. And I'm like, really? They go, yeah. And I go, well, that was better than before. Those were my first words out. Then when I got home, Aston asked me, hey, Dad, how was it? I go, oh, it was great. She goes, so it was better than before. And I was like, how did you know that phrase? Because we had talked about it in the car. Attitude had a lot to do with what I had to go through. Attitude will have a lot to do with what you are going through and how we focus and how we take advantage. As I said, Christ bought our salvation, our healing, our redemption on the cross. So when we go through situations, we need to take everything back to the Word of God. You see, in Ephesians 3.20, it's a scripture that I mention to you frequently, but it says, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly... Hey, let's all read this together. Could we? Let's start it back. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that... And where is this power working at? Is it working in the White House? Huh? I, I'd like to believe it would be, but I, I'm not putting a whole lot of faith there. Where is it working at? So when the word says that there is power working in you and in you thinking there's nothing going on in me, who are you agreeing with, God or Satan? Let's take a look at what this opens up to us because there are tremendous resources that are made available to us when we start to unlock doors and that key that unlocks doors is faith. You see, the word of God says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith unlocks the doors to your next level. And we have to hold to the scriptures. We have to get into the word. We have to understand God's promises, what Christ did on the cross, and how that applies to us. You see, Mark 9.29 says, According to your faith, it will be done to you. This is what Jesus was talking about. According to your faith, it will be done to you. There are times when we have to break some of our traditions that we've had. You see, the law of expectation says that you're going to get basically what you expect. We sometimes set expectations over our lives. Well, nobody in my family has ever done this. Or, pastor, this disease is, runs all through my family. You're opening a five-lane highway for those situations to come into your life. When you start speaking God's word, it says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. This is when we start fighting spiritually and we start unlocking those doors. Your expectations are going to influence your happiness. Your expectations are going to influence your health. Your expectations are going to influence your relationships. Well, I've never been good in relationships. <laughs> then you just spoke over your next relationship. People don't tend to love me. People don't understand me. You just spoke into that next relationship. See, when we start seeing ourselves the way God sees us, we see ourselves as being adorable because God loves us. God knows all of our faults. God knows the faults that other people don't see, and he still loves us. 
So when we have to start reminding ourselves that we're lovable, you see, I think there have been people that in the church today that have taught themselves that they're not lovable, that nobody would love them. They've done too much. And what God's word is saying is that he loves you. And as my brother and sister in the Lord, I need to love you. Regardless of what you say or do, I need to love you. We all fall. We all fail. There is no perfect people. Okay? But we need to love those people. We don't need to love the sin that they're involved in, but we need to love them. And they need to know that they're loved, that they're not being judged. We, who are we to sit? We're not their judge. But we need to be a witness of what the Lord can do in their life. I want to talk to you about some approaches to life. First off, there are two approaches to life. And you can either live your life by fear or you can live your life by faith. You can either choose to be an optimist or you can choose to be a pessimist. Job, at times, was a pessimist. I found this passage. It says, Job 3.25, and this is what Job wrote. And I love Job. Job was a man of faith, but there were times he had his Debbie Downer days. He says, what I fear most overtakes me and what I have dreaded happens to me. Now, if you just look at that passage, there's some depth in that because Job was dealing with some negative stuff. And what he's saying is everything that I was thinking negative is happening to me. Well, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have those negative thoughts? If everything that we thought was God is working all things together for our good. God is working all things together for my good. God is working all things together for my good. What I like about Paul, on the other hand, Paul was an optimist because in Philippians 1.20 he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will have nothing to be ashamed of. I will speak very boldly and honor Christ in my body, now as always, whether I live or die. What he was saying is that no matter what's happening, I'm going to love God. No matter what's happening, I'm going to love people and I'm going to lead them to Christ. Man, that's the attitude that we should have. And I'll tell you, if that attitude got in the church today, there would not be the political situations that we have. Because we truly would be a body united in Christ. We truly would be a body that loved people and that helped people. When you expect the best, you're honoring God. You see, even in athletes, I just want you to know. Um, in athletes, there is a winning edge, and that winning edge is their attitude. Because, I mean, a lot of them, there's always going to be somebody that can run as fast or faster than you. There's always going to be somebody that can shoot a little bit better than you, hit three-pointers or, or score touchdowns or kick, whatever the case may be. But sometimes it's the attitude of the player that gives them the winning edge. Did you know that Muhammad Ali only lost two fights in his career? Do you know that there's one thing that's in common with both of those losses? In the press release, prior to both fights, the only two fights that he lost, he made this statement. Now, if I lose this fight, dot, dot, dot. The only time he ever mentioned losing, he lost those two professional fights. What happened is negative thoughts started getting in there and started working against him. What happens with us is negative thoughts start getting in and start going against what the Word of God has been telling you. Negative thoughts start coming in and going against what Kristen and I try to share with you each week. Negative thoughts try to come in and start stealing that worship time away from you. We have to have the attitude of praise, the attitude of worship. You know, last week we looked at David and how David took on Goliath and how David used what he already had, some stones. He had an attitude. 
And when everyone else was saying, Goliath is too big, we can't kill him, I think David was running saying, he's so big I can't miss. What are we saying about that giant? Are we saying about that giant of debt or that giant of fear or doubt or persecution, whatever it is, that, oh, it's so big, I I can't overtake it? Or are we saying, man, that's so big, God's got to be noticing it? (laughs) Look, God, there's my mountain right there. You see, it's all in the attitude that we approach that mountain because we are going to face Goliaths. We are going to face mountains of opportunity. But I will tell you that optimism is contagious. Let me tell this side over here, Sean. I'm glad you got it. Optimism is contagious. There we go. Now, let me try this one over here because I got Sean. Sean, you sit this one. Optimism is contagious. Wow. Now, did you see how it started getting bigger? About a half hour from now, you guys are going to be cheering like we're at a Rangers game. Woo! The wave will start over here. Don will start. It'll be going back and forth. Somebody will walk in late saying, this is the most fired up church they've ever been to in their life. <laughs> Why? Because optimism is contagious. But so is pessimism. How do we stay optimistic in a pessimistic world? I'm glad you asked. I would like to go over a few points with you. First off, start your day with faith. In order to stay optimistic when everything else seems to be going wrong around you. If your world is crumbling, this is even much, much more important of a point, okay? So please put a little star beside it if you're writing it down. Start your day in faith. You see, studies have shown that the first 10 minutes of your day determines how you face the rest of your day. The first 10 minutes is determining how you're facing that day. Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in, in your relationships, whatever the case may be. Psalms 5.3 says, Lord, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning I will pray to you and I will watch for your answer. Wow. Now, is there anything special about the morning time in your prayer life? No, but what it's doing is it's saying, I'm going to start off this day with an attitude. I'm trusting God. I'm sharing with God and I'm expecting to see his, his deliverance in this situation. See, it might be important for us to know the one who leads the way to hold the day, okay? Because he holds our futures. So wouldn't it be great to let him be in control? Some of us have taken over our mornings. You can tell somebody who's taken over their morning because they'll say, good Lord, it's morning. But somebody who's turning it over to God says, good morning, Lord. You see, they make it into a prayer instead of a complaint, We all face 24 hours, seven days a week. How we focus our lives, how we impact others, how we grow spiritually is impacted in how we start off each morning. You may automatically say, Mark, I'm not a morning person. You just bought into a lie of Satan. See, what he's trying to tell you is, you're not a morning person, so you can be grumpy to anyone you want to be. You get a free gift t-shirt at Satan's gift shop for that, okay? I'm grumpy all day long. Well, they'd love for you to wear that shirt. Pray about it. Say, God, if I am not a morning person, would you help me to get better sleep? Would you help me in the morning to wake up and praise you and love you and love the people you've sent into my life? Well, I'm not ready for that prayer, Pastor Mark. Because it will radically change your family. It will radically change your life. Letting God start our day, spending time with Christ. The second point, 
and how we stay optimistic in a pessimistic world as we look for the good in situations. Romans 8.28, I quoted briefly, but it says, and we know that all things work together for good. Now, if you write in your Bibles, that's a good thing to circle right there, for good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. You see, we're all going to face situations. How we focus on those situations is determining how we grow spiritually. Did you know that Thomas Edison, when he was 67 years old, had a huge fire at his laboratories in New Jersey? All of his equipment was destroyed. He lost millions of dollars even back then. Plans, blueprints, everything was destroyed. The next morning, Thomas Edison was walking through the ruins of his burned-down factory, and this is what he said. There is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Now, honestly, how many of you would be walking through a burned-down factory where you've lost millions of dollars, blueprints, and you're saying, you know what? It's all good. All of our mistakes are gone now. Let's start fresh. New equipment, new ideas, new plans. You see, that's what determines those people who go on to the next level. Because if we're giving Satan more credit than we're giving God, then all of a sudden, we're empowering the wrong power. We need to be looking at things through the eyes of the scriptures. Third point, C, is to give your problems to God. So what do I do when a situation looks impossible? 2 Corinthians 1, 1, 9 through 10 tells us, it says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from the deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Here is a passage where they're going through difficult situations and are saying, you know what? We trust God. He's going to bring a situation through and make us bountiful through this. We will all go through those difficult times. But how we focus, who we focus on, what we're focusing on is going to be the determining whether we win or lose in that situation. We as a church need to start focusing to God about every situation because it will start unlocking the doors of more powerful worship, more presence of God, more hunger and more thirst. People will be drawn to you because what they see in your life. Not that they feel like they need to go to church. They want to know more about the relationship that you have. You see, the world is tired of religion. Religion is basically telling you what you can and can't do. And what the world is really hungry for is the relationship. They need to see relationship in us. They need to see love in us. They need to see a desire to be with God instead of I have to go to church on Sunday morning. Man, if you're having to do anything, God's not in that. Because God wants us. God wants us to come into his presence. God wants us to love him. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't care about your looks. He cares about your heart and what you're willing to offer to him. Wouldn't it be great if we were just a small congregation that just radically gave to God everything that we had, Lord? Do you know what he could do with that? He could change the world. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for us. Do we cast our cares upon him or do we keep them? Do we keep them in a jar until they start getting a little bit too big and then all of a sudden we now need to bring prayer into the situation? 
man, when I start feeling anything, I start praying over the situation right then and there. Because I'll tell you what, left unattended, things grow. You can look at my backyard and tell you that, okay? <laughs> and you got to stay ahead of that. So casting all of your cares, when situations start coming up, start praying about it right then and there. I read a quote this morning. It says, the most love that you can show anyone is to be keeping them in your prayers. I had to think about that. The most love that I can show anyone is to be keeping someone in my prayers. Wow. I hope that's grasping inside of you. The power of your prayers for your family, for your, for your children, for your, your workplace, for this country, for this nation. That's how we show our love, is to be praying and lifting up those people, casting our cares upon the Lord. D, eliminate negative words. Have you ever found yourself expressing negative things? I feel so tired. I feel so worn out. I am so depressed. See, when you start saying those, you're inviting more of that into your life. Do you know that Chris and I made some vows when we got married? Not the traditional vows, but we made some vows, and we made some rules. And I've shared those rules with you before, but some of the rules are that if one of us were in a fight, yes, we fight, um, that, well, more of a heated argument, or normally it's, yes, dear, okay, dear, okay, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. We have some rules that even in the middle of a fight, if one of us says, I love you, the other person has to say, I love you. And you say, wow, that's real rocket science. No, when you're mad and angry, those are three words you don't want to say. And the moment that you overcome your flesh and you say them in the spirit, all of a sudden there's a peace that comes in. We also made the rule that we would never use the D word. I'll spell it D-I-V-O-R-C-E. We never use it. Because once you start throwing it out in an argument like a threat, all of a sudden it starts growing. It starts becoming alive. And it becomes bigger. And the next argument you have, it's a bigger bullet. Next, all of a sudden, you think, well, hey, it's time to go nuclear. Boom, I'm going to put that one there. Never even bring it into your house. Never bring something into your house that you're not willing to deal with. How many of us are bringing situations into our lives with our words? We need to watch our words. The Bible has a lot to say about it. It says in Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupt talk come from out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, people don't want to hear all your griping and moaning anyways. So what good is it going to do? Why don't we be building up instead of tearing down? Why don't we allow our words to encourage people in what the Word of God says? There are a lot of hurting people all around us, and they want to know that we care and that we have a solution. In that, it says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only. Did you see that word? Only. If you're circling words, this is a good Sunday morning circling word, then only might be a good word for you to circle in that scripture in Ephesians 4.29. It's not giving you a choice. It doesn't say, but sometimes let this happen, or have limited amount of encouraging words. It says, but only let us speak. Only. That means that we should not have negative words in our vocabulary. 
James 3, 5 says, in the same way the tongue is a small part of the body, but it can brag about doing important things. The largest forest can be set on fire by a little flame. Wow. Our words could start a huge fire just by some little comment, some little snipey little thing that we just felt like we had to say. Well, they needed to hear that. <sighs> the Bible says that our tongue is like a rudder on a ship. Your tongue's going to guide and direct your future. It really will. Stop talking and focusing on what you don't want and start focusing on what you do want God to do in your life. Fifth point, E, is associate with positive people. It's very important during discouraging times that you find encouraging people in your lives. You see, getting around some positive people because the wrong crowd can bring you down. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 says, Don't let anyone deceive you. Associating with bad people will ruin decent people. If you want to soar with some eagles, you don't hang out with the turkeys. They're not going to teach you how to fly. And around Thanksgiving time, that's not where you want to be. <laughs> All right? Psalms 1-1 says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Why is this passage in there? It's because you are going to become like the people you hang around with. You hang around negative people, you will start taking on a negative view. You start hanging around positive people, you'll just start seeing that something good is about to happen. Something good is about to happen. Not everything good is going to happen to you, but God will turn it around for good. That's where our faith comes in. See, there's times when we're walking through that situation and that passage and your mental thing are, seem like they're in two different states. This is when we have to bring that in and say, God, your word says in Romans that you'll work all things together for my good. I don't understand the good here, but I know that you are working this together for my good. That's how we become a church that makes a change in our community. We believe the word of God, we stand on the word of God, and we share the word of God. It's not about our fancy building. It's not about my preaching. People would come here and let me just read the book of Genesis to them if we all showed love to them. See, we all think, well, you know, if you become a better pastor and if Dina would learn some more songs and if we got more comfortable chairs and if we got one of those really pretty pointy things, you know, on the top of the, people love pointy things, <laughs> then we're going to make a difference. It's us living our lives out there with what we shared in here. Amen. Thanks. Amen. You see, in your life, there are going to be some VIPs and VDPs. VIPs are very inspiring people. I like VIPs. And here's a little note. There's a slide, I think, even for this one. Lane. VIPs, you need a lot of them in your life, okay? You might want to just write that out. I need a lot of VIPs. VDPs, very draining people. And I put the note in here. You don't need many of them in your life, okay? I would love to say you don't need any in your life, but you are going to have one in your life. Okay, so it's just almost impossible to say. But there are going to be some draining people in your life. Recognize who is building you up and who is tearing you down. Recognize how much time you're giving to those influences. This seems very basic, but when you start focusing on it, you may be surprised how much you're giving attention to the VDPs and not to the VIPs. And what will happen is you'll become a VDP. 
to other people because people are looking for solutions. We have a solution in Jesus Christ. My last point as I close is remembering our future. That when you go through times and you're discouraged, remember what the Bible says about our future. Man, if you haven't read through Revelation, and I know it's a difficult book to read through, but get in and start spending some time. It's talking about heaven. It's talking about the glories of heaven. We have a movie that's going to be coming out pretty soon. It's called Heaven is for Real. I encourage you to go see it because I read the book. Bill Brown loaned it to me, and I, I borrowed it from him, and I love the book. It's going to open a lot of people's eyes to what is happening in heaven, that there is a life after this, that it's not just about what we do on this earth right now, but it's about how we're preparing for eternity. You see, this life is not the end. This life is not the end. The Bible says that this is just a tent. This is not even my home, okay? I'm just temporarily here on my way to heaven. In fact, if I ever write a book, I think I'd write, a funny thing happened to me on my way to heaven. Because it takes everything that we encounter, this experience on, on my way to heaven, this is what happened to me. On my way to heaven, this is what happened to me. Let me share with you a little story before I close. There was an old couple that were missionaries to Africa and had been there given pretty much their entire lives to serving the people of Africa. They were on one of the ships returning back to New York City and they were going to retire. In the story it says that they were tired, they were broke, they were a little discouraged. But on that same ship steam liner that was coming back from Africa was the president Teddy Roosevelt. And Teddy Roosevelt had just come from a hunting trip in Africa. So each day on the ship, people would flock to see anywhere that President Roosevelt was. And nobody was paying attention to this retired African missionary couple. As they came closer to New York Harbor, all of a sudden the ships were lining up to welcome the president. And when the ship pulled into port, all of a sudden there were all the reporters there to celebrate the president and his hunting party and the return and all the questions and all the flash bulbs were going off. And nobody noticed the retired couple. The retired couple found an apartment and were praying about what God wanted them to do. But the, the, the husband said, you know, I just feel like God's not treating us fairly. And his wife replied, well, why don't you go into the bedroom and tell the Lord? So a short time later, he came out of the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. His wife asked him, what happened? And he said, you know what? The Lord settled it with me. He goes, I know... I, he said, I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive such a tremendous homecoming from a frivolous hunting trip. And we, nobody greeted us from our years of service in Africa. And he goes, and when I, when I finished, it seems as though the Lord put his, arm around me on, put his arm on my shoulder and simply said, but son, you're not home yet. You see, we want a lot of fame and glory for everything that we're doing for the Lord right now. But this isn't home yet. Our home is going to be the first 30 seconds that we step into heaven. And I think that first 30 seconds that we step into heaven, we're going to realize, why did I worry so much? Why did I argue so much? Why did I fear so much? How come I didn't share Christ with more people? These might be thoughts that we have when we realize the power and the environment of heaven versus what we're dealing with right now. But guess what? We're not there yet. So we have today, and we have tomorrow, and we have this week to make a difference.
Can you make a difference in your world? Yes, you can. Can you make a difference in your school, in your workplace, in your home? Yes, you can. Can you make a difference wherever you are? Yes, yes, you can. Satan will try to tell you you can't, but I'm here to tell you that the Word of God says that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength and that he will turn all things together for your good. You are here today to hear a message on encouraging and changing our attitude and making sure that our attitude reflects Christ in everything that we say and do. That we don't murmur and complain, but that we praise and worship. Don't live your life in fear. Live your life in faith. How do we spend our life in faith? We spend time in the Word of God. If you get anything from this message, maybe I'm challenging you that the first 10 minutes of every day, get into the Word of God. Read a devotional. Turn on some worship music. Don't turn on anything else and just focus on God. Then pray for the people that you love the most. Pray for them. Pray for Lake House Church if you love us. Pray that we would impact our community, that we would change lives. And ask God to guide and direct your day. That's how we can change the world, through our attitude. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'd like to close today with a very simple prayer that I'm going to ask everyone to pray. You might have said, hey, Pastor Mark, I was getting all the attitude stuff and positive stuff, but I don't think I have that relationship with Jesus Christ. I've heard about it. I've, I know about, I know with Easter comes, how he died on a cross. But let me give you the 411 in just a few seconds here. See, we're born sinners. No matter how good we do, no matter how much money we give, no matter how many times we do nice things for people, it will never buy us into heaven. The only way that we get into heaven is by receiving Jesus Christ into our life and Savior. By asking that the sacrifice that he did on the cross to remove our sins, to remove our sickness, to remove the disease and the worry and the stress, that's why Christ died on the cross for you and for me. But it comes through an invitation. And all it does is ask you to ask him in your heart. And not just as an emotional experience on Sunday, but to then develop that relationship. To spend time in his word. Just maybe start singing a song to him that you made up as you're out shopping one day. Just telling God how much you love him. I'd like to lead everybody in a prayer. But if you pray it and you really mean it, God knows this prayer. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me change my life fill me with the Holy Spirit and I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am saved Amen you know I've said that prayer so many times and I still love whenever I confess that Jesus Christ is my Savior maybe some of us just need to remind ourselves that He is our Savior I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we dismiss I want to thank you all for coming I want to remind the youth to come on Thursday nights. Also, we're having a great time. There's only a couple more Thursday nights available at the Nose, so we'd love for you to come. It's a great group of people. And according to God's word,
May the Lord bless you and may he protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. We love you so very, very much.